pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Life Before Death is a remarkable documentary film that premiered February 1st of this year. It's already won four awards, including a prestige award, best of show with the best shorts competition, an accolade award, and the Indie Fest Award. The film features the worldwide battle by physicians and nurses to stop the epidemic of pain that threatens to condemn one in every 10 of us to die a painful death. Through the eyes of patients and their families, we experience very personally the agony of not having essential pain medicines like morphine, as well as the life-restoring effects that morphine can offer. This week, we continue last week's show by asking Mike Hill, the director, writer, and producer, to share some powerful behind-the-scenes moments that he experienced while filming this compelling documentary. Dr. Kathleen Foley then joins us to provide the hope that we need to ease our fear of dying a painful death. Aches and Gains is supported by Endo Pharmaceuticals, Pentech Health, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Mike Hill directed, wrote, and co-produced with his wife, Sue Collins, the documentary film Life Before Death. He's directed three award-winning documentaries and is currently in production on a documentary film for the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Mike's also an experienced television and commercial producer with over 20 hours of produced credits. He joins us from Australia. Mike, there's such a contrast between those living out the end of their life fully because their pain is controlled with morphine compared to those dying a painful death. Why did you choose to film those scenes? I think the only way that we can make informed decisions about this global health issue is to see the, the untreated pain, that suffering, unfortunately, it's very difficult to see it. Uh, and with all of the patients that we filmed with who had untreated pain, they later were able to receive uh, pain-relieving medications. However, to see someone in such a state is a real call to action. And equally, the hope and the joy that comes from seeing someone who has severe pain well-treated uh, is in- incredibly powerful. Sushila left us about an hour back. We are sad that she's not with us, but I'm glad that the whole family was able to be there with uh, her. And I'm also glad that the family was able to see her going away in peace. It was very touching for me to see the man going on stroking her face. 
and uh, saying words of uh, love and affection to her. And that I think was important. I suspect that he would not have been able to do that if she were still in pain and agony. Here we see just how beautiful and peaceful life can end without pain. In fact, we see Dr. Raja Gopal, a palliative care physician from India, touch several dying patients in pain. I mean, Mike, were you surprised to see that touch was so important? Touch was very important, and we saw it in every cultural context we visited in the 11 countries we shot in around the world. Uh, I think when you observe uh, a doctor or any health worker, nurse or, or other member of the team sit with the patient, sit by the bedside or sit on the bed and reach out and touch that patient, you can just see the spirit soar in that patient. And it was something that we observed time and time again and seems to be something that palliative care services uh, are, are experts in delivering. Although most of the documentary focuses on the tragedy of dying in pain, we, we also see the transformative effects of morphine on a woman living in India without cancer or without any life-limiting illness. Mike, w- will you tell us about her astonishing life? Uh, when we met... Gomadi in India, she was a 50 or so year old uh, patient who was suffering from chronic back pain. And she was the sole carer for her whole family uh, who were largely dependent on her to bring in income. She lived with three brothers who had a congenital illness, which meant that they were completely stationary. They couldn't move from one spot on the floor. She lived with her very elderly father, uh, who was in his 80s. And she also lived with a nephew who was a a deaf mute. So she had her hands full supporting this family. And there came a time when her back pain limited her from being able to do the manual work that was bringing in the family income. And this caused a crisis in this family. Uh, They had no income, they had no food, that was the first problem. Uh, But the bigger problem was that the monsoon season was coming and they had a big hole in their roof, which meant that they were certainly sure that when this monsoon season arrived that the roof was going to collapse uh, on them. So they made a collective decision uh, to commit group suicide, which is very, very difficult for us to imagine a decision like that being taken. Completely rational and uh, very happy family when we met them. Thankfully, before it came to that, uh, the palliative care services delivered by Pallium India were able to support this family in terms of treating Gomadi's pain so that she could get back to work and also providing financial support so that they could fix their roof. Uh, When we came to them and filmed with them, we saw a completely different picture. We saw a very happy, functional family. Absolutely. You know, I'm glad you filmed this scene because it gives us a fresh perspective on how using drugs like morphine for non-cancerous pain can restore someone's life, and and in this case, an entire family. When we come back, we'll ask Mike why he believes pain has been so ignored. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Endo Pharmaceuticals, a U.S.-based specialty healthcare solutions company that delivers innovative diagnostics, drugs, devices, and clinical data 
to meet the needs of patients in areas such as pain, urology, oncology, and endocrinology. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Welcome back. Mike, why do you believe the topic of pain has been so ignored? I mean, it's a universal experience, and I can't think of anybody who wouldn't be afraid of dying in pain. Well, it's a growing problem because uh, there's more non-communicable diseases that, that cause, and you know, the growth of cancer, for example, that are going to generate uh, pain issues. So this is a growing problem. And it's also a difficult one to face up to, I think. Uh, it's not something that we, we gravitate to easily, thinking about mortality, thinking about pain and suffering. We shy away from those things. It's a very natural reaction. However, uh, we are responsible to do something about this situation. So we do actually need to face up to it. And that's what your movie is helping us to do face up to it. What we discovered through the journey was that chronic pain itself in any form is a disease and it needs to be treated with these types of medications and people can be living with chronic pain uh, for decades. So they're going to need that support the whole way through uh, the treatment of that disease. That's very true. What message are you trying to convey by filming on location in multiple countries? The reason we went to 11 countries in different cultural contexts in North America, in Asia, in India, in Europe, in Eastern Europe, in Australia and Africa was to provide a broad cross-section of this issue. And really what we discovered was that this is a universal issue. The problems that we face uh, at end of life are really the same everywhere and they need the same types of tools uh, to be able to address these problems. Mike, now that you've made the film, have you thought more about how you want your own life to end? I think I feel like most people feel, which is if we ask them, how would you like to die? They'd probably say, uh, in peace, in comfort, surrounded by my loved ones. And I think that's something that we can all aspire to. So Mike, after making the film, do you feel that we're still at risk across the world for dying in pain? Unfortunately, that is the situation today, and that's why we need to mobilize and get behind this cause so that we don't need to worry about that, because uh, at the moment, the outlook is not good. Okay, but there is hope. There is hope. This is a problem that can be solved. We have the solutions. We know how to do it. We just need to mobilize and roll it out across the world. Mike Hill, thank you very much for making the film Life Before Death. I really do think it'll make a difference in how we respond to the need for pain relief during or at the end of life. Thank you so much, Paul. Please stay tuned. Dr. Kathleen Foley joins us to provide the hope that we need to ease our fear of dying a painful death. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Pentech Health one of the nation's largest pharmacy and nursing companies, dedicated solely to providing in-home care for patients with implanted pumps used for the treatment of severe pain or spasticity. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. If you were with us last week, you'll remember Dr. Kathleen Foley, an attending neurologist in the Pain and Palliative Care Service at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City. She's a professor of neurology, neuroscience, and clinical pharmacology at Cornell University. She's also the medical director of the International Palliative Care Initiative of the Open Society Foundation. 
Kathy, how often do you hear terminal patients like Don say these types of things? What is important to me is access without judgment. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. I don't tell too many people uh, what I take because when you mention methadone or you mention um, Marinol, uh, you know, those that don't know you all of a sudden, you know, look at you in a much different way. It's interesting. And I think it's out of ignorance, unfortunately. I was uh, diagnosed with a very unique kind of cancer, uh, abdominally based, called uh, pseudomyxoma peritonei. And though there is no real cure for it, um, surgical debulking is really all that we have as a tool to arrest it. It's all encompassing. It, um, it can take your life away from you. And if not for the medicine, um, it's much easier to think about dying. Now, I thought it was a, quite a, an extraordinary quote that um, he used at that time because it's so typical of what patients say. Um, the pain wears away at their personality. It wears away at the relationships that they have with their family. And the medications can improve that and it can improve both their control their pain and facilitate their ability to have a quality of life and to interact and to be active and to be engaged. And we see the medications for that purpose is that they need to normalize a patient's life, not take away their cognitive function, not take away their functionality. So we see these drugs as only improving people's quality of life, not reducing it. And I think he made that point that he didn't have to think about dying because um, when the pain was gone, he could think about so many other things. That's right. I feel that medicines like morphine can certainly be life-giving. Well, the reason they were created is because they were there to improve people's uh, quality of life and control of pain. And we do have opiate receptors in our brain, and they're there so that these drugs can interact with them and provide us with comfort and provide us with pain relief. So that um, I think that we keep forgetting that the purpose of these drugs is to, in fact, relieve pain. And uh, that they're misused and that they're abused is um, clearly a problem, and I in no way want to trivialize that. But we need to be advocates for patients um, who need to benefit from these medications and have access to them. Based on your extensive experience as a palliative care physician, is there anything to fear about using morphine for pain at the end of life? Patients taking pain-relieving medications, we have to make sure that it doesn't make them too sleepy. We have to make sure that it doesn't Um, suppress their respirations. We have to make sure that it doesn't impair their cognitive function. But we've learned and we have really excellent guidelines both um, in the United States and guidelines from the World Health Organization that carefully outline how to use these drugs, as I said, safely and effectively for patients. Kathy, how do you feel that we can make medicines like morphine available for medical use and not abuse? It's a, it's a difficult problem um, simply because these drugs are uh, can be um, bought and uh, sold. The first thing we need to do is we need to educate our healthcare professionals about how to use these drugs properly. And secondly, we need to help families 
and patients understand how to use these drugs effectively. And then we have to be safe about where we place these drugs in a home and how we keep them carefully um, away from young children or from adolescents who may want to take them themselves. When we come back, we'll talk about how the war on drugs in the United States could be harming our ability to deliver needed pain relievers like morphine at the end of life. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Welcome back. There's a United States police officer from the film who remarks that opioids have an important role in managing pain, but abuse of legitimate medicines like morphine often leads to abuse and addiction that's unintentional. Uh, Dr. Foley, is this an attitude that is harming our ability to ease pain and suffering at the end of life? In, in the U.S., we're seeing sort of a backlash to uh, availability of opioid drugs and to prescribing. When we move internationally and when we move to resource-poor countries, there's, been a, there's a very, very strong regulatory environment that prevents these drugs from even being prescribed. So in countries um, like Uganda that now has access to oral morphine, there was a period of time up to about eight to nine years ago where oral morphine was not available for dying cancer patients, and patients had nothing to access. If one goes to the Ukraine, patients in the Ukraine can receive 50 milligrams of IM morphine a day at the most and not a higher dose. And we've been um, able to demonstrate, and Human Rights Watch has written a really extraordinary report showing how by setting a dose limit, uh, there's an enormous impact, uh, a negative impact, on the quality of life of patients with cancer who have no access to these drugs. Speaking of access, why is global access to an essential medicine like morphine so limited? Because it's a drug of use and a drug of abuse. And if it were not a drug of abuse, we would not be having this conversation. And even though the international narcotic controls authorities have said we need to have a balance, uh, these drugs are just not available. Kathy, is abuse of opioids in developing countries really a problem? Well, the drugs are not there, so therefore there's not abuse at the moment. Uh, But I think that we have to acknowledge the fact that there could potentially be abuse of them. So that's why um, with my, you know, so many of my colleagues, we're helping the governments come up with safe, effective regulatory environment that, you know, puts the drugs in safe, uh, that distributes them carefully, that accounts for them. In India, for example, uh, careful studies of widely disseminating oral morphine to a community-based population showed that they could do this safely. But the reality is, is the misuse argument is currently trumping um, the need for these drugs for pain patients. That's sad to hear. But I feel that this film will go a long way to educate governments in our country and also in developing countries about the importance of comfort and safety of using opioids like morphine at the end of life. Yes, and and I must say that when we meet with governments and when we meet with parliamentary um, members and when we meet with ministers of health, they're quite well-meaning in saying, well, we'd like to have this available. Teach us how to create a safe regulatory environment. But we've not been good at controlling um, the abuse of these drugs in any sense in our societies. And so uh, yet at the same time, it's the cancer patient who then is held to task for it because the access to the drug is limited because of this concern. So we need you know, a strong, strong balanced policy And we're all working toward that strong balance policy. Kathy, there's a widespread belief that using morphine in palliative care patients makes them die faster. Talk to us about that. 
There's a large, large hospice population that was looked at that basically showed that there was no correlation between the dose that patients received, either, either very high doses or low, and the timing of their death. And there's a very nice study of uh, patients who were in an intensive care unit who were uh, receiving morphine and were being withdrawn from a respirator as they were dying. Uh, the patients who re- received morphine lived longer than the patients who had not received morphine. And we have repeated studies of patients in intensive care units who are receiving morphine, who again live longer. That's an excellent point. In fact, a lot of families don't understand the life-extending benefits of using morphine at that stage. Right, but that's a very open and honest discussion we need to have with families and explaining to them that the purpose of the medication is not to hasten their death, but is to relieve their pain and their suffering at that point in time. I think the difficulty in a patient who is actively dying um, for family members is that if they are given morphine, they may become less responsive. These are the you know minutes uh, prior to death, and families want to be as communicative as they can with their loved ones. So I often ask my patients um, as they're getting close to the end of their life, um, if the pain was quite significant, would it be okay if the medication made them sleepy or sedated so that their families can hear that and their families can understand that that's an acceptable side effect of the medicine. Based on this discussion, I hope that everybody listening realizes how valuable, how necessary morphine can be in bringing dignity and peace at the end of life. You've been a tireless crusader in this effort, Kathy. Have you thought about how you would like your life to end if you had a painful life-limiting illness? (laughs) <laughs> yes, well, I, um, yes and no. I mean, I think that um, I want to have the opportunity to have as effective pain control as I could um, so that I could have a quality of living. And I think I'd prefer not to be in a hospital and to be cared for at home. Um, so I think those are two things that are sort of most clear to me. Um, and after that, I'm probably not so clear. Dr. Foley, thanks so much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Yeah, thank you so much. Imagine the feeling of throbbing or gnawing pain in your bones, joints, or back after exercising too hard, being dehydrated, losing sleep, or even flying in an airplane. Those with sickle cell disease risk this type of pain from such common everyday events. Join us next time when we hear from Albert Johnson, better known as Prodigy, an American rapper who shares his personal story of living with the pain of sickle cell anemia. Dr. William Zemsky, head of the Division of Pain Medicine at Connecticut Children's Medical Center, then provides up-to-date recommendations on preventing and treating sickle cell crises. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Today we have a question from Donnell in Aspen, Colorado. Do you know if primary care physicians are knowledgeable about fibromyalgia? My problem is that I haven't been able to get someone who has knowledge about my condition, and they try to treat my other problems. Well, Donnell, primary care physicians are probably aware of how to treat this condition. I would also seek out a, a rheumatologist or a pain specialist that's knowledgeable about fibromyalgia and is willing to treat you. It requires patience from both the patient and the doctor because there is no quick fix. Progressive use of medicines, an exercise program, and psychological support are often pretty helpful. And here's a final moment from Mike Hill's documentary film, Life Before Death. You're in pain, you're dead to the world. In fact, I believe that relieving the pain is preliminary to good palliative care. So we have to to be diligent and relieve the pain very, very rapidly to allow the person to to live, literally, 
all the days and all the hours and all the minutes that are left for him or her to live. You, you came to the palliative care service about two weeks ago, two or three weeks, is that right? The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of WBAL Radio, Hearst, and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to WBAL.com or PaulChristoMD.com. That's PaulChristoMD.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to PaulChristoMD.com. That's PaulChristoMD.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Eric Vohr and Dr. Paul Christo. Ty Ford is the audio engineer, and Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. From WBAL Radio, 1090 AM, you've been listening to Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.